Hi, I'm Mark Rodman. Coming up, the FBI investigates alleged school board threats. Governor Cooper signs a major energy bill, and American families feel the pain at the pump. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of Carolina Journal, Robert Reeves, the Democratic Leader in the House, Political Analyst Joe Stewart, and Nelson Dollar, Senior Advisor, North Carolina Speaker of the House. Donna, why don't we begin with the investigation of the school board threats? Yes, Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland has uh, asked the FBI and the state attorney's offices to, to U.S. attorney's offices to investigate alleged threats against school boards around the country. Uh, this all comes as school boards really have hit a boiling point with parents going in and objecting loudly to some of the curriculum, the COVID lockdown, some of the restrictions that are still related to the pandemic that's happening in classrooms. Uh, a lot of the National School Board Association said that there have been emailed threats against school board members across the country. And Called that's them why domestic terrorists. They're calling them domestic terrorists. And at the end of the day, even if you say, hey, they're getting threatened, you can produce the emails saying they're getting threats. The message of this, what the American people are seeing, is parents being dragged out of school board meetings by, our, by police. And that is a message that you can't get away from because parents are saying that after a year of remote school and watching what their kids are learning and how they're learning, they want a bigger say in what's happening in the classrooms. And the way to get to it is through public school board meetings. Robert, is this an overreach by the DOJ? Shouldn't this be handled locally if there's a threat? Well, and I think this becomes about interpretation because the way I read the memo is that this is about locally training people to understand this is how you recognize a threat, this is when you've got a threatening situation, and this is when you need to intercede. And that is how I read the memo and that that's all that Merrick Garland wants to do is to make sure that these folks are prepared because this is a new territory for everybody because I don't think anybody's going after parents at all. I think what they're trying to stop is you have people now, for instance, at Orange County, they had the Proud Boys show up at a meeting. And I don't know, all of those Proud Boys may have had kids at the school. I'm not saying that they didn't. But you can't have organized groups that are associated with certain types of acts show up at these meetings just randomly overwhelming the parents because the parents are the people who should be heard, not other groups. Nelson, critics say this is a suppression of free speech. Well, I think it's a real question. I mean, what happened to Ms. Johnson when she socked it to the Harper Valley PTA? Now you would call in the FBI. So in 2010, we had protesters that came and stopped the Wake County School Board. They had arrests. They had scuffles broke out. Uh, they couldn't hold their meetings. But at the time, Attorney General Eric Holder did not call in the FBI to have a nationwide investigation. And if you look back at some of those earlier eras, you know, the same people that said it was wrong for J. Edgar Hoover uh, to use the FBI to investigate protest movements in the 60s and 70s, they're the ones who are fine now with saying, okay, we're going to bring in uh, the FBI for these nationwide investigations. And I think when the national government is making the judgments on who whose protests are valid and whose are wrong, that's a dangerous path. Joe, put this in context, my friend. Yeah, Donna makes a very good point. I mean, a lot of times parents feel the issues that affect their school children very passionately. In fact, 
passion is an element of all politics. People feel the issues they feel strongly about very personally. That's a great point. Should parents be the decider on the curriculum? Well, I think to some extent we're going through a, relatively speaking, a significant change in the way public education needs to be administered. COVID taught us a lot. Number of families looking to homeschool now that didn't before. But that having been said, there is a need for a conversation in this country about the value of civil discourse. I mean, it's always been a rough and tumble business. And certainly there have been other times in American history where politics was as fractious as it is now. But to threaten an elected official over a public school policy is going a little too far. But do we know of any real threats, Donna? Uh, so far, I have not seen any very specific threats and certainly no uh, attacks that I'm aware of. Um, but I do think that's going back to the, the Orange County School Board uh, example, I think parents have every right to organize and get, get, their, get their messaging together and work together as a team to get in there. Um, but we saw there, in that case, Orange County, the chairwoman of the school board was, had a very strict agenda. If you veered from it at all, you were escorted by police out of the school board meeting. So there really needs to be civility on both sides of this. Okay, I want to change topics. Talk about the General Assembly's week, Joe. Yeah, very interesting. No, no votes taken this week, uh, but still a lot of focus on the discussion taking place between Republican leaders of the House and Senate and the governor trying to come up with what they're describing as a grand bargain, uh, some expansion of Medicaid in exchange for an agreement relative to tax cuts and pay raises for school teachers and public employees. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what the course of these uh, conversations is. Uh, behind closed doors, a lot of discussion, some hopefulness that they're getting close to concluding this. But I think this is really important for Governor Cooper as we head into the 2022 midterms. He needs to know Democratic legislative candidates can go back to their districts and talk about positive things that were accomplished for those districts in this particular budget. I think Republican leaders in the General Assembly rightfully want to get a budget for the state of North Carolina. It can't be good for us from a credit worthiness standpoint to go much further without a budget. Energy bill came up, was signed by the governor, correct? Well, certainly what one might consider a kumbaya moment. I mean, a bipartisan support for something. Some concern expressed about uh, the possible impact on ratepayers for utilities to extend the period of time over which rates can be set by the Utilities Commission. But it was a great example of what can happen when Democrats and Republicans and the governor sit down and try to work through an issue. Nelson, you have the floor, my friend. Well, you know, on the energy policy, I think that is in sort of in miniature for North Carolina. It's the type of rational policy that we could use actually at the national level because it's opened all sources of energy. Some critics say, though, that utility, uh, the the, uh, the energy bill will cause an increase in utilities at home, right? Well, there are those concerns, but those concerns are That's also be passed on to consumers. Are addressed well. Uh, Rates still have to be judged by the Utilities Commission and, of course, the public staff is there to advocate on behalf of consumers, whether they're the industrial consumers or whether they're um, uh, regular households. Okay, Donna, weigh in here, please. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that we've been talking about a lot uh, through this process is that, um, you know, finding energy that is, you know, sustainable and reduces our carbon footprint is an important part of that. And, you know, we, you know, nuclear can't really, you can't really argue with that, with the, with the, um, the, efficiency and the environmental impact that that has. I think that that's something that we really need to uh, think more about in this. What about the budget deal? What are you hearing, my friend? 
Well, I think I'm hearing the same thing everybody else is, uh, that everybody's talking and we're hoping that we can come to a deal. But what I can say is I really do think that this atmosphere this year is completely different from two years ago. And I think there is a real honest effort on every side to try to come to some type of compromise to get a budget out. Governor Cooper wants to sign a budget. The Republican leaders want to have a budget. And I think everybody wants to come out of here with some agreement. Well, Republicans have indicated that they're, they're open to Medicaid expansion, correct? That is what I'm reading in the newspaper, yes. Nelson? <laughs> some have indicated <laughs> openness. Others still have uh, some concern there. But, it, but there's really, there's just too much at stake. You've got $6 billion in federal funds. You have $8 billion in capital funds and programs that are going to impact literally every community in the state. So I think that there is, as... Uh, Representative Reeves have said uh, there's an understanding on everyone's part that we are going to need to come together and pass this budget. And I do expect us to, to get to an agreement sometime in the next few weeks. Joe, wrap this up quickly in about 40 seconds. Well, the, the greater complexity of this now is we're also in the midst of talking about redistricting. The legislature's having to redraw all of the state legislative and congressional maps. At the same time, they're dealing with these budgetary things. It's as if they're juggling chainsaws and somebody <laughs> fired them all up. And so they're juggling these lit chainsaws. We but, have great capability <laughs> in the General Assembly. We can do more, more than two things. Well, we're all well, hoping and everyone... Everyone in North Carolina hopes you come through with all 10 fingers still intact. <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts, Robert? Well, the only thing is that I am very hopeful. I think that the energy bill really did show what we can do, and I think we're going to get something done this year. Okay, I want to talk about soaring energy prices, Nelson. People are really feeling the pain at the pump. Uh, they are. So on April 20 of 2020, the price of a barrel of oil went to Zero, negative. Now it's soaring over $80 a barrel. None of that was actually good. Uh, the driver of the shortages right now is actually in the natural gas market, especially in Europe, uh, where they pursued their renewables policy, which has created issues for them, an overdependence on uh, Russian natural gas, and competition for the liquefied natural gas with China, which is creating a, essentially a worldwide energy crisis. So natural gas prices are going to be, as well as gasoline prices, are going to be up this winter. But in Europe, it will be five times higher. Well, they're saying 50 percent on natural gas here, right up. 50% or more here this right. winter for home heating, but in Europe it's going to be five times higher. And the problem is the Biden administration and Congress are trying to pursue the same policies they're looking at in Europe. That's going to result in higher costs and shortages. And what we need here in the U.S. is a rational policy that balances your hydrocarbons along with your renewables and nuclear. That's what we need. Don, is it safe to say that inflation is no longer transitory? Oh, I think for sure. I, you know, right now we're seeing consumer prices are they're high have had the highest growth rate uh, since 2008, and we're coming up on 70 days until Christmas. Uh, the Biden administration uh, today, this week, announced that the Port of Los Angeles will be operating 24-7. Um, but then a lot of economists are saying, look, it's too little, too late to save Christmas. And that might be one of the problems that the Biden administration is going to struggle with, because after a year and a half of pandemics and shutdowns, uh, if people aren't able to get what they want, or food prices are too high, or schools can't provide the lunch, that supply chain is going to be really going to be weighing him down. Are we beginning to see this as a very potent issue, Joe, 
in 2022 in the midterms? Absolutely. I think it's a truism that American voters have a tendency to focus on three primary things when they think about the economy. One, the relative rate of unemployment. And the old saying that it's a recession when your neighbor loses a job, but it's a depression when you lose your job. So if the economy continues to slow and unemployment continues to to tick up. I think people will perceive that unfavorably with regard to the administration. But the price of gas and the stock market are two other bellwether indicators of the economy that a lot of voters look at. I think the challenge for Biden is he needs a win. I mean, he's had a lot of bad things happen in a row now, all the way starting at Afghanistan. And now with this, he, he's got to be able to give American voters some confidence that his administration can get on top of problems and get them solved. But is a win, Robert, more spending in Washington? Well, I don't think more spending is necessarily the answer to anything, but what I do believe is that we've got to figure out some way, just as Joe was saying, that Biden can get into position so that he can at least show American people that we're on top of this, that we understand what's going on, and, and we're doing what we can, or if there's nothing happening, why nothing is happening and why we can't handle this, because like Nelson was saying, I mean, it's a worldwide problem. Donna, this is more than a messaging problem for the White House, though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. When it hits, uh, you know, kitchen tables and pocketbooks, this is a big deal. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, even if you can get products into the United States, who's going to drive the trucks? Who's going to stock the shelves? Uh, you know, who is going to staff that cash register? The labor, the overall mismanagement of the supply chain, labor, all of these other issues is going to really converge here at, at the holidays. Nelson, it's not like we didn't see this coming. Well, that's right. And energy drives everything. It drives not only heating your home, but it drives, it provides all the petrochemicals that go into the food that you eat. So inflation can be driven by poor energy policy that we've, we've had in place. And the irony is, in the U.S., we have all the resources we need. We have the most renewable resources. We have natural gas. We're the, the largest producer in the world. We need to take advantage. We need to build the pipelines, put the infrastructure in place, and solve our problem. I saw President Biden ask the producers to start producing more oil, correct, Joe? Yeah, no, and uh, I think the answer was, mm, maybe not. <laughs> well, the irony is he was asking OPEC right. to produce more when we could produce more shale here cheaper. We're no longer energy independent, correct? Well, we, we have all the resources to be energy independent. We just have to have the will to do it. Okay, I want to talk about a new uh, deal that's happening in Washington, Robert, uh, in, in uh, North Carolina, Robert, and that's the uh, North Carolina project. It's a get out the vote project. Who's behind it? What's it about? Well, the new North Carolina project is um, being headed right now by Dr. Amy Steele, who is a person that actually ran twice for a house um, in 2018-2020 in Cabarrus County, which of course is one of the fastest growing areas that we've got in the county. And the idea is that you, it, uh, by their estimation, you had about a million voters of color who did not participate in the last election for various reasons. And I think the microcosm of what they're concentrating on is a, a, and a problem of what we've got all around. Even though we had high voter turnout in the last election in North Carolina among white voters, it was around 75%, which you had among African-American voters and other voters of color, collectively it was around 67, 65%. So what they're hoping to do is to get these people engaged, to get them back out and to get them voting again and to get them engaged in the process, which I think is the most important part, is because I really believe in this day of partisanism, what's happened is people have just divorced themselves from Turned the process. Off. Yes, completely. 
Donna, this yeah. is similar to what happened in, in Georgia with Stacey Abrams? It is, actually. And I think that politically, this is probably smart of Democrats to do. This organization is part of one that was also in Georgia. And what they're really looking at with Biden and Congress having historically dismal approval ratings, that organizations like this are focusing on the state legislature. And maybe that's a better use of, of national donor money to get in and try and work on those, uh, those uh, turning some of those seats blue, because this is being headed, as he said, Dr. Steele, uh, by folks who have run for the state house and or state legislature and lost in the past. And they're hoping to really try and galvanize a, a higher turnout for the state houses, the state chambers, and, and turn those to Democrat. This is going to be really important for the Democratic Party when it comes because of redistricting, correct? Well, absolutely. You'll, you'll have a lot of parts of the state where voters are voting for legislative candidates that they don't know very well because the map has shifted a little bit. And I think any time that you have a significant election, like this one will be, both parties will engage voters that haven't typically turned out. We have a U.S. Senate race on the ballot in 22, so that might stimulate a little further turnout. Generally speaking, midterm elections, the turnout's not as high as it is in the presidential contest. It's just a pattern historically for American voters, not just here in North Carolina. They do not focus on elections outside of the presidential cycle, in large part because they're not aware of what's going on. They don't see as many ads on TV for candidates, so they're not as aware that there's an election. But I, I think it will be a real challenge for Democrats to turn out base Democratic voters and a cohort of voters who don't typically participate in elections because they're going to have a hard time finding a message that gets them enthusiastic and excited about actually turning out if the economy and all these other factors are weighing against them. Is 2022, Nelson, beginning to remind you of 2010 and the Tea Party movement? Well, it is. And it's a couple of interesting things here. One, uh, the Democrats are first going to have to find the 137,000 Democrats who have left the voter rolls since just the last election. So they're going to have to get those people back uh, registered again. And the other interesting thing is the message that they're sending. So if you look at the website, it says that they are promising to help you achieve health, wealth, and power. And that they're essentially saying that that comes from your relationship to government. I don't think that's the paradigm that allowed a nation of in immigrants uh, to succeed as we have. So there's going to be a fundamentally different message. Do you want to uh, empower the government? That's your uh, pathway to wealth, uh, health, and power? Or do you, you know, look at the more conservative message that we want to uh, enable you, give you the opportunity to create your own wealth, your own power, and uh, uh, control your own health and your education. Great conversation. I want to go to the most underreported story of the week, Donna. So going back to what we've been talking about, about school board meetings, I would say that one of the most underreported things this week was the whole story uh, between the really publicized arrest of Loudoun County father, um, Scott Smith. We all saw those images of him being dragged out of the Loudoun County school board uh, meeting in handcuffs. Well, it turns out, and some, some outlets have been reporting it, many have not, that the reason he was there to object to some of the school board policies is that his ninth grade daughter was raped in her school school bathroom uh, there in a public school and it turns out that they have uh, caught the assailant and he was another student and had done that in other schools. And so that image of him being dragged out of the school board meeting objecting to the bathroom policies there is what really made national news. And but drove the, the DOJ it, investigation, don't you think? sparked it. I think it really had a lot to do with it. But then the follow-up, the reason that he was there and the real stake he has in this, this issue in his family 
that really didn't make it very far. Robert, underreported, my friend. There's a new treatment uh, that's finding success in destroying tumors in both the head and the neck, and it's actually pretty fascinating. It's coming out of London, and what it's done for terminally ill patients. They've been able to find these tumors, to attack the tumors, eradicate them, and they've had at least one person that they had in this particular report that has uh, been able to survive another five years afterwards with no reoccurrence of the cancer. So it, it could Where's be amazing. Where's this happening? This is in Britain. Okay. Is where they're doing this, yes. Okay. Joe? Well, of all of the challenges we face in this world that are imminent and we weren't able to predict their occurrence, there's one in the Red Sea. There's an oil tanker with 1.1 million gallons of crude that's been scuttled there since 2017. It's four times as much oil as leaked out of the Exxon Valdez uh, and has the potential for enormous environmental devastation in that part of the world. Part of the challenge is off the coast of Yemen, which is currently in a hotly embroiled civil war. Negotiations about trying to rescue the oil and get it out of there before it leaks has uh, been problematic, but the impact could go as far as Saudi Arabia or Eritrea or Djibouti, other African nations, and it could destroy drinking water and crush the fishing that's done off that part of Africa unless something's done. What countries are involved trying to solve this situation? Well, there are negotiations taking place between the rebels in Yemen and the UN recognized government in that country to come up with some sort of agreement that they will bring in a salvage crew to help extract the oil and remove the tanker. But because of the nature of the civil war, they've not been able to come to an agreement yet. Nelson? Uh, according to consumer sentiment uh, measured by the University of Michigan, 65% um, of folks say that it is a bad time to buy a house or a car. 68% believe that interest rates will go up this next year. 78% uh, believe that prices will rise more than 3% over the next year. The conference board, uh, their consumer confidence uh, survey fell in September for the third straight month. Uh, indicating concerns with the labor market, prices, business conditions, CEO confidence also dropped in their survey. And the Federal Reserve Bank of uh, New York, their survey of consumer expectations showed inflation expectations set a new high for that particular survey. So when you ask about the 2020 election, I would simply say that unhappy consumers yield angry voters. 2022. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, housing prices are really going through the roof. Are, are the blue collar and, uh, and, and the uh, uh, folks who are lower middle class being uh, just priced out of the market? You are being priced out of the market, and that means that you're going to have to move further out from the city center. You're going to have to move further out from uh, your job prospects, that creates issues in how you do your transportation and creates additional costs for working families. So I think working families are really seeing a pressure when they can't realize their, their dreams in terms of their, their houses and when they see what they are making uh, going out the door quicker than they can bring it in. I think it's a big problem. Let's go to lightning around. Who's up and who's down this okay, week? Okay, up, I'm gonna say the State Fair. It's super exciting, back this year. Um, it kicks off this Cotton weekend. candy. Yes, for sure, fried food, it's all gonna be there. Things are gonna be spread out a little more than you're used to. Masks are encouraged, not required. Vaccines, same thing. So I'm excited to see it. The question is, will people go back? And that's, that is one of the big questions that we're seeing because it may have either uh, you know, gotten out of the habit or they may be concerned about, uh, of course, 
post-COVID. Um, but I think we're really going to see a lot of people out there enjoying fresh air and fried food. Down. My down, makers of aspirin. New study out um, this week says that that little daily aspirin might not have been such a good idea after all. Science. Now they tell me. Yeah, now they tell me. <laughs> so it turns out they used to think that it increased, it decreased your chances of a cardiovascular incident uh, by 0.4%, but it turns out that it also increases your chance of bleeding during a stroke by 0.5%. Science. Robert? <laughs> Up bipartisanship from what we already talked about, the energy bill, and I'm hoping that means we've got a good budget. And I would say down coronavirus numbers in general, and we're That's happy good. to see yeah, that. I think we're getting past these mandates. I couldn't hear you. You think we'll be <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Another comedian. <laughs> Joe? Up, uh, the Democrats stepping up their job to try to support the Democratic nominee for governor in Virginia. Uh, former President Barack Obama now scheduled to come in to campaign for uh, Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate there. That's a real bellwether, isn't it? Well, it is. And the polling that came out this week still shows the race very close. I think it, it's probable that the Democrat pulls out a win in Virginia, but it probably will be much closer than it would have otherwise because it is a litmus test on the Biden administration. Down, another person used to work at Facebook now having come out, uh, Sophie Zhang, who said she feels like she had blood on her hands from the work she did at Facebook, saying that they did not do enough to squelch misinformation and, and uh, hate speech on the site, has provided okay. information to law enforcement and says she's willing to testify to Congress as well. Nelson? Uh, up. Drugs and people crossing the border. So fentanyl seizures are up four times what they were in 2019. The Mexican cartels are overtaking Chinese production uh, of these uh, synthetic opioids. And a record two million people will be caught illegally attempting to enter the United States uh, for this physical year. Enforcement actions are up three times what they were in 2020. No, I see that they're going to reinstate the remaining Mexico policy. A federal judge did that. Okay. Headline next week. Um, so next week, I think we're looking at strike season. Uh, more and more workers say that they're going to go on strike right at this time where we're having, you know, energy crisis and, of course, uh, supply chain. We might be seeing more people walking off the job. Robert, headline next week. Next steps in the budget process revealed. Headline next week. Well, perhaps not a grand bargain, but at a tip of the hat from Roy Williams, a daggum good bargain. <laughs> headline next week. State fair attendance will be down. Did we miss your deadline? You, uh, you're down? You missed my down. I yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, who is down? Uh, unfortunately, President Biden. He's dropped like a rock. Marist had his approval rating at 45%, AP at 43%. Uh, Quinnipiac at 38% approval uh, uh, this past week, and it's driven by the economy and immigration, foreign policy. Uh, and according to that same poll, 55% of Americans say that Biden is not competent in running the government. And that's probably the number that's going to concern the White House the most. Yeah, I think they're very concerned, and I think the Democratic strategists are very concerned. Okay, that's it for us. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. 
A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.